Hey everyone, it's Akil from the DealDoc team. We wanted to start off this episode by recognizing that this is a difficult and unprecedented time for many people, and we hope that you and your families are staying safe and supporting each other through this COVID crisis. We took this time to sort of reflect on our journey thus far on DealDoc and share some of those reflections with you. In this episode, Ishan, one of our co-founders, will be interviewing me and Sham on everything from our first pitch competition to building out our team of five members today. Enjoy the episode and please drop a like or share if you enjoyed it. And as always, stay safe. Thank you, guys. You two have been in the company since the beginning. So um, do you want to tell us the story of how you guys got started, how you thought of the idea for the company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so I think uh, it makes sense to kind of start with where I first witnessed the problem and then how that kind of turned into the actual company. Um, So I was working at a private equity firm uh, summer after my freshman year uh, in my hometown of Milwaukee, a really small firm and like working with a couple of really, really nice guys who were exceptionally smart and teaching me a lot. Um, and one day I was just having like a really candid conversation with my boss at the time. And uh, he told me that he was experiencing a lot of problems like managing his deal flow. Um, so in private equity, you know, as you know, um, the goal is really to find companies, right, acquire them and then flip them after a couple of years for a profit. So he was basically like you know, seeing a lot of deals, right, seeing thousands of deals every year but wasn't able to effectively track and manage which ones were interesting and and track them through their pipeline. Um, So that conversation kind of led me to, uh, you know, just planted this idea in the back of my head that maybe there's a company here, maybe there's some software, you know, maybe there's something that we could build um, to solve this need. Um, And so after I kind of had this thought and this conversation with my boss, I uh, came back and uh, called up my uh, roommate at the time, Nirmal, and uh, we just had a chat about, the company and like whether it was possible to build something like this and um, you know what it would really take to do so. And uh, once we kind of defined uh, our interest and like you know, our commitment to the product, we just spent the next you know six to seven months just doing a lot of problem validation. So it was really just collecting names of private equity firms, um, going out and talking to them and figuring out, you know, one, um, are we fulfilling a real need and a real problem for them? Two, um, if we are fulfilling a real problem or need, are we building, building a, a unique product? And three, you know, is this a product we're willing to pay for? Um, so once we kind of gotten all three of those check boxes um, from a variety of private equity firms, you know, ranging from ones where it's just like two or three people in an office to 600, 700 people, um, we decided that it was time to build out an engineering team and uh, really start working on the product. Okay, do you want to chime in? Yeah, I mean, I joined a little bit later, um, I guess like a couple months after you and Nirmal had kind of define the product and stuff but the way I kind of like envisioned the the problem to be happening was kind of just how Sean explained it basically like private equity firms have like this issue that can be solved pretty easily with automation right um, and the the main two problems I saw there were the time and the money that was wasted um, in this industry so I kind of saw like that as a big space for our product to come in and our, our company to come in um, and that's kind of what what kind of uh, drove me to join Dealdoc. 
Yeah. I want to hone in on that piece real quick about the um, automation. This is something we've talked a lot about um, over the last couple of months um, because it's an industry that hasn't historically relied on this kind of automation in the past. Um, at the very beginning, when you were going out for problem validation, um, you know, what were their reactions? How did these um, firms who have not really upgraded this technology in decades, how did they react to that? Yeah, it, it definitely was some pushback, like I think on a couple of fronts, right? One, they hear AI, they hear automation, and they think about like all your data being taken away, right? They have this like dystopian conception of what AI really is. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to figure out, like, like hard for me, you know, as a founder to kind of parse between what they thought was real and, you know, what I was actually part, uh, you know, pitching. Um, and so I think part of it was really honing in on like what the value add for them was and then assuring them that, you know, we aren't taking all their data. We aren't taking all their private data. You know, we aren't, you know, scraping the web and like doing all these evil things, right? Like we're just trying to save them time and money. Um, and I think the other part of uh, this automation piece is that, I think they just didn't fully understand what the capability was um, and what you know, automating the deal flow management process really looked like. And that's obviously something that we're workshopping and we're still continuing to find out. Um, but I think it was just a matter of explaining, you know, what parts of the process they would save the most amount of time and they would save the most amount of money and turning it into like that time and money, um, like Akhil mentioned, I think was really, really important in convincing them and talking to them. I yeah, I think I think we always talk about like customer adoption and early adopters for like big technologies and things. And one of the um, biggest things we learn in entrepreneurship is like the best ideas comes from behavior change. So if you look at like a company like Tesla, right, like or Uber or something, right, like the reason it's so successful isn't because like it's you know because of like the technology or something or the app itself. It's because it got people to go from like you know, going in their own cars to like trusting some random stranger to like take them from place A to place B and like hopping in some random person's car. So like behavior change, I saw like this, I saw this company and DealDoc and what DealDoc do, is doing as a potential for behavior change in this industry, um, which is I think what we're trying to do. And with every, any sort of behavior change, like there's always going to be pushback. There's always going to be people who are afraid to adopt the technology. And I think that's just part of what we're doing. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I'd say like, I think the other part of all of this is that, um, you know, when you're trying to pitch a very archaic industry, um, like we're taught again in entrepreneurship, like Akhil mentioned that like, we're solving the underlying need, right? Not the explicit need. So, you know, of the 60 to 70 conversations that we had, a lot of them were leading us in like 10 different directions. They're like, oh, you know, instead of automating the deal flow management process, you should go out and automate the diligence process for us, right? Because that sinks up a lot of time and, and money. Um, but when we kind of looked at it, it, it wasn't a logical problem for us to solve and it wasn't going to be easy to solve. But, you know, when, when you kind of start to follow the rhetoric of what they're saying, they're still sinking a lot of time and money into deal flow management. And that's, you know, the underlying need that we want to solve. So, you know, I, I think it's just, especially in our archaic industry, it's interpreting what the customer is saying rather than just believing them, at, uh, you know, at, at what they're telling us face value. Yeah, that's a good point, especially with, you know, stuff like machine learning, there's all this, um, you know, like rhetoric and what people pull from headlines and how that factors into the conversation that, you know, may not be like totally firm, uh, developed beliefs that, but we still make decisions off them anyways. Mm -hmm. um, going back to that idea of behavior and behavior change, 
Um, what was it like for the early stages of the team as, you know, you guys brought on the first couple members? You know, how did that, how did that change your attitude towards the startup? You know, because um, when you start, it's kind of a nebulous concept. You know, it's like there's no, there's no like charter, there's no rules of regulation, there's no, you know, board of directors. So how did the culture start to form with the first couple members? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's actually something we cover in like, you know, one of the shorter podcasts where we talk about like hiring your friends, right? Um, and I think for us, because my first couple of hires and, you know, I'd, I'd say to some degree, all of the hires on the team were people that we had some personal connection with. Um, I was able to immediately trust everybody trust each other. And that's a really important tenant, I think, in developing good culture. Um, because if you're able to trust someone to get their work done, if you're able to trust someone that, you know, they have your best intentions at heart, um, you get a lot of amazing work. You, you get a lot of amazing output, right? Um, so I think it naturally started to develop because of the personal relationship we had and the nature of our personal relationship. Um, and I think trust was a key component right from the very beginning that like I trusted that whatever Nirmal was working on was very important. Um, I trust that whatever Akhil was working on was important and gonna get, move us forward in some way. Um, and I think like that became a key tenant of our, our early company culture. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think for me, it made me hold myself a lot more accountable for my work. Um, I think like yeah. when it was just the three, four of us, there was a lot of unstructured work going on. Like we would work weird hours. We would meet at like 2 a.m. Because we had that trust between each other, like we trusted that like we would get the work done somehow. But when you start to hire more people, like, not everyone kind of has the same schedule or not everyone has the same work, um, I guess, work style that you do. Um, so you have to give them like very structured directions, boundaries and things like that. So I had to transition kind of into like a more management role and learn a lot of those practices um, and make sure like I was giving clear directions of what I wanted. And I guess like planning ahead was a big thing too, because um, a lot of what we were doing in the beginning was kind of like putting out fires here and there. So like one problem, we'd solve one problem and another problem would pop up. But like when you have people working under you or working with you, like then you have to plan a lot more in advance and you have to plan for a lot of the risks and problems that come up with like creating products and things like that. So I think it made us a lot more aware, a lot more organized, a lot more planned um, and strategic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that, that also makes sense in the context of a lot of the development of the idea and, you know, the mission statement, the value proposition, a lot of that happened going towards the venture cat competition, right? Mm -hmm. So um, actually that kind of reminds me of something. So because, you know, you had that kind of deadline, how did that make, um, you know, did, did that kind of change the way you're approaching your exploration of the problem? Like, um, you know, did it lead you to meet any people that helped you um, approach it differently? Was it things you learned in your classes? Because, you know, as students, you learn a lot of what you learn day to day is also being incorporated into um, how you're working in the company, right? So I was just kind of wondering, um, I guess a couple things there was, one, uh, where did you go for help during all this development in the beginning? You know, like how did, along with finding new people to work with, how did you find people and places to go to, um, you know, get advice, learn more? Uh, second, and along with that, how did being a student and the things you learned in school kind of work into that? For sure, yeah. 
Um, so maybe I can tackle the first part and Akhil, you can tackle the second part about being student founder. Um, but I'd say like when it came to finding help, especially at some of the early stages, the way I really thought about it is mentally, I kind of created like an advisory board, right? Of people within my personal network or like one level removed. Um, and I really bucketed them into like different areas of expertise, right? Some of them were, you know, more like entrepreneur coaches or like founders themselves. Some were like more product oriented people. So they really helped us like frame the problem validation questions and how we should be approaching the customer and having those conversations without, you know, pushing them in any specific direction. And then there's a third bucket who are like the mm -hmm. end help. And then uh, the last bucket, which is more like the industry. Um, so like the VCs and the private equity people that we went out and talked to. Um, and I think like dividing it up that way and bucketing it out really helped me because, you know, when there was a fire, right. Um, like Akhil mentioned, you know, when, you know, we hit a dead end and we are like, okay, I don't really know what the next step is in this process. I knew exactly who to turn to based on who I had bucketed into each of those parts. So for example, you know, on our advisory board, um, we've got a product manager at Facebook, formerly at Google, um, who has been like extremely helpful when it comes to like engineering and thinking about the product. Right. Um, but if I have a question about private equity, I don't go to him. I go to my old boss, right? Uh, another member of my advisory board. Um, so I think just like bucketing it up that way um, was really critical to finding help. And I think the other thing that opened a lot of doors for us, like you mentioned, was VentureCat. Um, so being selected mm -hmm. there um, was really, really critical because one, it lit a fire under our ass, right? We were like, okay, we have a lot of things to get done. We have a deadline. You know, we have a lot of deliverables that need to get done before we can even pitch in front of a group of judges. Um, and I think kind of simultaneous with that is uh, the idea of joining the garage. So we're a, a resident team at Northwestern Startup Incubator. Um, and uh, I think that was, joining that was really critical for uh, helping us grow and like opening up a lot of doors to like Northwestern alums who are in private equity, Northwestern alums who had, you know, gone through Y Combinator or been product people or been product managers. Uh, so I think in that sense, it, it, it opened up a lot of doors and was really helpful. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Real quick, before we get to the student life stuff, um, one thing I know uh, a lot of us as students, we hear a lot is, you know, you're at college, you have all these people at your fingertips, go find mentors and that kind of thing. But I found that for a lot of us, taking concrete steps towards that is really hard. Um, so how did you guys get started with actually finding those mentors? Like, I know some of them probably came from personal connections, but, you know, was it through VentureCat? Was it through professors? How did you find those people? Yeah, uh, I think some of it was definitely luck. Um, I think the other thing is like ending every conversation that I had with, okay, you know, who would be another good person um, for me to talk to was really helpful. Um, especially as we started kind of hitting like the 50, 55 conversations with private equity firms, I started running out of names to go out and look for and look up and cold email. So at the end of a lot of conversations, it'd be like, hey, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation are there any other private equity folks that you'd be willing to connect me with, right? I just want to kind of learn more about the industry, about this problem and see if it's worth solving. Um, and I think like ending it with that ask was really helpful because that expanded the reach beyond just my personal network or one level removed. It was, you know, this random person who would connect me to somebody else. And we had a really good conversation. We connected really well. And now I want to know who's within their network. Um, so I think like in that sense, we kind of managed to spread ourselves around. Actually, one of our very first advisors was a, you know, a cousin of Kaushal, um, one of our former team members, right? And he ended up being extremely helpful in like framing the product and helping us put together a team and think about team culture and things like that. So it's definitely like a bit of luck, but also just like proactively asking for, uh, for new connections. And I think that's something you can only yeah. do when you're a student and when you're young. I definitely agree with what you're saying, Yashan. Like, 
a lot of people tout like universities as being like great places to meet networks, which they, which they really are, but it is really tough to find like the right people. I think what Sean and I realized is like, oftentimes you'll find like the best advice and like the people you'd least expect. Um, just pitch to as many people as you can, like, and you never know like who's going to give you like really great advice, you know? So one of our mentors um, works in the night lab, um, which is like a studio on campus that's basically focused on the intersection between journalism and computer science. <clears throat> they have like a lot of experience in like investment and like startups and different gro- growth in companies. And so they, even though they didn't necessarily know anything about private equity or AI pr- particularly, um, they gave us some good advice on like how we can craft our story and our narrative for um, specifically for venture cat. I guess that the answer, the short answer to your question is like, you really never know where you're going to find a good mentor or, or good advice. Um, you can do your best to kind of poke within different departments and things like that. But like, just pitch to as many people as you can, and you know, you might get some advice somewhere. Yeah, I think that story was really nice about the night lab, because um, I feel like as student founders, like one thing we get a lot is that we're juggling a lot of, you know, schoolwork obviously on our hands and trying to build a company with that is a lot of work. Um, but Akil, can you tell us a little bit more about how, you know, what other kinds of things you can draw from the school? Like we talked about VentureCat, the garage, um, this lab, mm-hmm. like what, what else, what other place does school and schoolwork have in um, your development and your work in Talk? Oh yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I haven't I haven't really gotten that, but um, I think like obviously there's the academic side, um, taking classes that are related to like what we're doing. So I've taken classes in human computer interaction, uh, design courses, product design courses, uh, communication courses that have been really like helpful and kind of opening me up to kind of like the ocean of ideas when it comes to Deal Doc. But another thing is like. Uh, just getting your hands dirty, a lot of project oriented classes. So um, going off what I talked about night lab, I took a studio class in night lab where I worked for a quarter on a project, um, just creating like prototyping for tools for AR and VR. Um, And so like, even though it had nothing to do with like private equity and automation, it gave me a lot of insight into like the process of one working with a team and a multifaceted team um, and how we can kind of utilize the best parts of each team member. Um, to like the product design cycle and like how it is to work in sprints, agile methodology, um, prototyping, like design planning, things like that. Um, and I think three, just like being able to execute um, is really huge, right? Often in like school and classes, we like, we do a lot of reading and we write a lot of papers and we take a lot of tests, but like really getting your hands dirty and like executing is something we don't get a lot of experience in. So I think finding ways in which like, whether it might be a side project or things like that to like get your hands dirty, those have really helped me in DealDoc, um, like kind of being a more, 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 more prepared for like the work that comes in DealDoc. John? Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of, you know, related to that idea of actually executing and getting your hands dirty, what was the point for you two when, you know, you internally kind of decided, or maybe it was like a conversation you guys had, but when you guys decided that, um, you know, this is something we need to take seriously that we want to pursue, um, you know, with everything we have. Yeah. Um, I'd say for me, I, I kind of drew it off of my experience in high school. Um, so I founded a startup in high school and took it through an accelerator program uh, out in Boston. And uh, I think, 
learned a lot from it, but I think the biggest learning I had is like, you have to take a startup very seriously uh, when you're in school in order for it to, in order for it to work. And that's ultimately what killed my last company, right? Is like the founders became disengaged. I wasn't really spending a lot of time with it and ultimately just kind of fell apart because nobody wanted to take the initiative um, to step up and lead it. Um, and so I think like one, it made me realize that I have to find an idea that I'm passionate about and that I really care about. And like, it's a problem that's interesting to me and something that I feel like we can solve uniquely. Um, but it, it, as far as taking it seriously, I think one of the very first conversations that I had with both Nirmal, Akhil, even with you, I'm Ishan, uh, I'm sure you remember this, but like, you know, we basically said that this is our primary commitment outside of school, right? It's either school or this. Yeah. Um, and I think like making that distinction very clear was important because one, it forced me to pull out of a lot of activities that I felt, you know, were syncing up some of my time, you know, even if it was just like one or two hours a week, I felt like I could replace that and learn a lot more by working on deal doc and, and accomplish something a little bit more. Um, so I think like having those conversations very early on and setting the expectation that this is kind of our primary commitment outside of school was really important. Um, but that came from uh, experience a couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think Sham hit a really good point about like some, some conversations we had, but on the flip side, I think it is a gradual process of like taking it seriously, quote unquote. I mean, for one, like you could argue that venture cat was a big stepping stone for us. Another argument could be that when we first hired people outside of Northwestern, that was like a big stepping stone for us because now we have people who are holding us accountable and people who are looking up to us for direction. Um, but I, I do really believe that like, the taking it seriously is like a gradual process as we get more traction. And as we start to talk to more people about our ideas, I think it starts to legitimize more in your head and become like a real, a real thing. Yeah. I think I like that idea of the, um, you know, gradual ramping it up to, or like a gradual process of taking it more and more seriously. Cause I remember when I joined, like my first instinct was kind of just, especially cause you know, I'm remote. Um, and there's like the time gap too. It was kind of just felt like I needed to understand all of this, like, you know, this is like a real company and that kind of stuff. Um, but even then it was still kind of like, it was more like a club for me at that point in time. Um, and it was something that I really was looking forward to, like a mission I really believed in. Um, but still like I hadn't been part of a startup in that kind of environment. So it definitely took me a while before I got there. It just, you know, like, um, like the first couple of meetings, um, getting the first real piece of code that I built for us. And especially when we hired new people, I think that was a great point because once you're managing people, then, you know, it goes to a totally different level because now you're thinking even further ahead than you were before about where you want the group to go. You're, you know, messaging people constantly. There's just more kind of hooks in the company that you have to grab onto at that point. Um, so I think yeah. that, was a, that was a great point you made. Um, Speaking thing, of the flip side, though, what did the first couple months look like? Yeah, um, so the first couple months, I think, was just a ton of problem validation. We really didn't touch, we didn't open, you know, a GitHub repository or do anything related to coding or, or building actual product. Um, yeah. Pretty much just spent time reaching out to private equity firms, cold calling them, um, cold emailing them, leveraging Northwestern connection, leveraging our personal network, and just kind of finding a way into like having conversations with the right people at these firms. Um, like I mentioned before, is just to like identify whether we had a real problem, whether the problem was big enough for us to solve, whether we thought we could solve it uniquely, and you know whether people were willing to pay for it. Um, and I think yeah. it revolved around that day in and day out. So 
you know, if you look back into like our 2017, 2018 notes, um, it's just a ton of calls with a lot of different random people and just the insights we pulled out from that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, exactly what Sean said. Um, I think a lot of it was also like crafting our story, our narrative. I mean, in the beginning, like we definitely weren't as defined. Our problem wasn't as defined. Our mission wasn't as defined. We had to have a lot of conversations. Like there were a lot of meetings where Sean, Nirmal and I just sat down and like we're talking about like who are we what are we and like what do we stand for what are the pillars of our company um and like what is the foundation of like what we're trying to do right i think the first couple months especially leading up to venture cat we really had to like nail down our mission statement um our narrative our story and like our product like i don't i don't think we even like talked about what our product would look like or our product requirements until maybe the summer yeah, that makes sense. Also, real quick, before we move on, do you guys want to just, you know, we know the pillars and the mission that we're talking about, but for the listeners, do you guys just want to mention a couple of the key ones that, you know, were really important to that early discussion? Yeah. Um, I think one, uh, we wanted, as far as the people went, we wanted people who were passionate, committed, and we felt had a desire to learn. Uh, because I think especially as a student founder, it's you know, we're well aware that like, you know, our skill set isn't the same as like a PhD coming out of Stanford, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so I think like, we redefined it and tweaked it in a way that made sense for a student founder, because we realized that, hey, you know, like, even though we don't have the same set of skills that a PhD does, we do have the same drive that they do, right? So that's what we're going to optimize for. We're going to find people who have the same drive and have the same desire to learn. And I think that was really important, right? Like this emphasis on iterative learning, on being open to failure um, internally and like, you know, making sure that we're open to uh, people, you know, deciding that, hey, you know, like I'm interested in backend development. I'm going to become an infrastructure engineer, right? I'm going to focus my time there. Um, so I think like, mm -hmm. Uh, being aware of like what our situation was and the kind of people we were hiring for is really important. And that kind of to, uh, I think fine tune the value uh, like surrounding people and like who we wanted to hire as far as the company itself. I think like we value like a lot of like pretty, like we're transparent about everything, right? Everybody has access to all the Google drive notes from, you know, from the very first meeting that Nirmal and I had up until yesterday. Right. Um, so I think like being transparent and honest about what's going on in the company um, I, I'd say like that is something that we want to permeate throughout the organization. And, um, you know, when somebody isn't able to meet a deadline, we want them to feel comfortable sharing that and that it's not a, a place where we're going to, where they're going to get judged or they're going to get, you know, immediately, um, you know, put on like probation or suspended because, you know, they didn't meet a goal for a specific week because they had three other midterms. Right. So I think it's just those three values I'd say is like a desire to learn transparency and understanding. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I know, especially, you know, me being remote, that was a really big concern of mine early on was just the fact that I don't see you guys face to face every day uh, made me really nervous about, you know, can I say that, like, you know, I have like a piece at due, so I didn't get, to, I wasn't able to push this to the GitHub last night or things like that. Um, and that was something I really enjoyed about working with you guys was how open and accommodating everyone was and it wasn't just like a oh yeah you didn't finish it that's fine move on it was like a oh you didn't finish it and then you know me and Nirmal will talk about okay what can we do to fix that time right now and there's like a real constructive way of going about it which I thought was really cool um one last thing before I think 
uh, we wrap up is uh, a bit earlier on, we talked about the garage residency, and you talked about the startup accelerator program um, you guys, uh, that you did in Boston. Um, one thing that I know for a lot of founders, RH student founders, is that uh, they look at this involvement with startup accelerators. And to be honest, even for me right now, that's a very like nebulous thing where I don't really know how effective it is, what kinds of experiences people have. Um, do you guys want to talk a little bit just about what it's been like to be a part of that organization, things you liked about it, didn't like about it? Um, you know, maybe a couple of stories or key takeaways, stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'll be honest, when we first looked at joining the garage, it was mostly just because we wanted a desk, right? Um, yeah. We were working out of my dorm room, um, which is also Nirmal's dorm room, right? So like a lot of the meetings end up being very informal. Like Akhil would come over at like 1 a.m. and we'd have a chat for about an hour. And I felt like moving into like a space like the garage would set a lot more structure, especially as the team expanded, right? Um, it would make it a lot more official, quote unquote. Um, so I think that was a big part for sure, like from the very beginning was just having a space, like a physical space that we could go to and say like, this is our office space, you know, this is where we're gonna congregate for team meetings. This is a, a space that we can take calls from, um, you know, things like that. Um, Akhil, do you wanna talk more about your experience at the garage and some other stuff? Yeah, definitely like the space thing was super important. It also like, I, I know Sean would agree with this, but exposed us to like a good, really good network. I mean, we found like our first, a lot of our hires from the garage who like uh came to us at what was the um kind of like pitch thing where we where we pitched to yeah it was a startup matchmaking event. yeah startup matchmaking where we met like a lot of our people who work for us now um so it exposed us to like a really good network not only of potential hires but also of mentors i know we have a lot of close connections with the people who run the garage and our mentors who have like basically reviewed our pitch decks given us advice on I mean, they're basically like a second advisory board for us. They've given us a lot of advice um, and also like a really good network of other startups, like other student run startup. It's, it's always good to like bounce your ideas off people who are also going through the same process of being student entrepreneurs because they can yeah. sometimes have like uh, the best advice. Yep. That's a really good point. Um, is it always, um, you know, very cordial and easy to work with people from other uh, startups because I know especially like in universities there's always talk about you know competition and trying to foster that collaboration do you think the garage has been good that way like is there that culture of collaboration across teams and companies it's interesting because I think there is an element of that and there also isn't an element like I think the garage does a good job of like putting us all next to each other right so we're all in the same space like the desks are all right near each other and like you get to know the people around you pretty well um, I'd say we're in like a very small minority of startups who are like in the enterprise space selling to like business customers. Right. Um, yeah. so in that sense, like, I think there's a very little overlap between what we're working on and what a lot of the other people are working on. Um, I think especially at Northwestern, there's maybe this just could be a part of like the incubator being kind of young, but there's a lot of focus on startups that are, you know, targeting college students, which makes sense, right? Like, that's the experience we know and we've lived that experience. So we know what the needs and the challenges are of college students. Um, but, you know, as far as like actual, you know, product help or industry help, it was a little bit more sparse for us, I'd say. And like knowledge of selling to enterprise customers was a little bit less. Going back to that question of competition and healthy competition versus unhealthy competition. 
the nature of the garage is it is exclusive. Like you do have to apply to get in, which does inherently create like a sort of competition within each other and like between each other. They also do a really good job of like making all their resources pretty accessible to everyone at the garage, especially the residents. Um, very level playing field and like they're always offering, uh, willing to help. Over the course of this episode, you got to learn about the origins of DealDoc, how it started with just a simple idea to improve the daily life of a private equity analyst. You got to understand our processes behind hiring and how that shifted our team dynamics. We also talked about the struggles of being a student entrepreneur and having to juggle many different activities. We wish we had more time with you, but that will conclude our episode for today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, if you have any comments, questions, or just want to chat, please feel free to reach out. Thanks again, and stay safe.